Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Tom, how are you brother? Chris, lovely to see you <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me, I'm very well thank you, how are you? Oh, I tell you, I'm I'm absolutely made up, Tom, that you've spared a few minutes to come and chat on my humble podcast. Um, we chatted the last time we chatted must have been three years ago, and you were still serving. It was well Welsh Guards, yeah. And you were were you a captain at the time? I think yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're now out of the military. Yeah, I left middle of 2019, first of July 2019. Um, so yeah, I've been out for. Yeah, weird time to get out, sort of end of middle of 2019 and then sort of straight into the C word that we don't mention anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it was uh, yeah, a crazy time to get out. But um, my last 16, 17 months in the military were just incredible. I had so much freedom and free time to go and try and see, yeah, see what I could do in the trail running world. And when I decided to, yeah, to hand in my notice, it, they were they were great and I could sort of just poodle about for 12 months and um yeah it was great brilliant friends at home so tom has just won what i would say i'm just gonna say this the most iconic uh ultra marathon on the planet probably the original hundred miler the yeah. western states i first got to hear of it when i read my friend dean Carnaz's wonderful book ultra marathon man and i think dean's won it a few times i apologies if i'm wrong there folks but he certainly he's definitely run it several sev several times um and we'll come on and talk about that tom but just to peel back the last time we spoke you had just come third in the marathon de Sables. <laughs> i just got a thank you there um for the inspiration i remember when we chatted it was a dream of mine to to enter it. I think any ultra runner wants to enter the Marathon de Sables. You had just come third on on well your first crack at it. Yeah, it was. Gee, that seems it seems like a long time ago now. Um, it's still one of my best memories of racing, and I think multi stage races really do more than anything. They bring out really who you are. Um, and yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's a very expeditionary, it's very military savvy and military friendly. And I think the either the currently serving or the veterans typically do much better than they should do on paper, just through sort of sheer mindset. And it, it it's like being on for those who are military and have got some understanding. It's like being on exercise for five six days. It's as miserable, um, but the fun bits are as fun and it's the miserable bits are as miserable. So, um, yeah, it's definitely up there is one of my one of my favorite races. And I will 100 percent be going back at some point um, in probably not the in not the too distant future. Um, probably not next year, but um, after that, who knows? Yes. And I've got a feeling who's going to win. Who's going to win that event? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you've got to I think uh yeah I learned a lot doing it. I was very naive going into the race um so yeah I think it will be uh it'll be a really fun project to uh to do again mm. 
So I did just to make our friends at home where I folks, I'm never big on like a huge training, not not because I don't love running, which I try and do every day, but my life chucks up. Uh, can we just say veterans challenges? I think veterans out there know what I'm referring to. So I have a kind of patchy history of training. I I ran Marathon de Sables this year with 10 weeks training, I think. It, my training, which was mainly three milers, and the Marathon de Sables, folks, is 155 miles. Uh, it culminated with me trying to run 90, 20 miles. And I got to 90 and I called my girl, I called my girlfriend to come and pick me up because I was oh, broke. I was broken. Did that stop me going out there and, and completing it in the second toughest year on record? Uh, I also had chronic diarrhea all seven day, days of it. So I really hardly ate a thing. And the heat, Tom, it was 52 degrees. Yeah. It was wow. insane. Yeah, it's yeah, lot this year sounded yeah, sounded completely miserable and really, really really challenging. The very first night of running, mate, I was sat outside the, you know, the uh, Berber bivouac that you you sleep in and the, I watched a guy die like literally opposite me. Jeez. Um and of course all the shouts went out, medics, medics, and then they're screaming for Medazalan, uh, which is a like a Valium type thing. So I think I think he'd had a seizure and those medics, they brought him back to life. Wow. Um, but it was that moment where you think, Oh my God, this guy's poor family. They, they, they don't know what I'm watching. You, you know, they think he's gone away for a dream of a lifetime. And, yeah. and there were so many people crashing out so yeah. many people. Yeah. I think there's, there are some things for the race you can prepare for, but there are a lot of things that you can't prepare for. And I think by the sounds of things this year, it was just one, it was the perfect storm of things. Anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And yeah, it was just brutal. And the, um, the traditional winner, uh, his name slips my mind. The guy he's won it for the last few years. El Moriabis. Yes. There was a bit of scandal there because he pulled out. He got a three-hour time penalty yeah. because when they, they they did a spot search of the bags and they found some cheese that the Berber, the Berber tribesmen that was supporting the race had obviously given him. Um, and I think on um, sort of out of pride, I think he just, he he pulled out so that i think his bro his brother won it yeah i think it's it's good that the testing is done um everyone's known that that's what's been happening for since whether it's from since they started doing it or from later on but yeah you every you've got to be fair and if you're prepared to cross the line somewhere then where else are you prepared to cross the line so no i think it was a it was a very it was sad for the race that that happened but it's also good for the race because it needs to be a level playing field. Um, and if it's not, it makes it almost impossible to win if you're not a local. Yeah. I mean, there's us. I, I ditched everything, mate. I ditched even to the night before the race. I looked at my warm gear and I thought, let's just take a gamble. All, all I took was this ultra lightweight puffer jacket that weighed about the same as a big packet of crisps. Yeah. 
and all that served me what for was a pillow. <laughs> right. You should have bought a packet of crisps. That'd be yeah. <laughs> I was going through my food going, nah, some, someone's going to pull out and all their food's going to be, you know, I made sure I stayed within the, the rules because I just, it was just like an etiquette thing for me, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, it's even with ditching everything and all i really had was my mobile phone and a small backpack that was the only extras i had that other people didn't plus i had the little cooker and a really lightweight cooking pot yeah but even then i'm still eight and a half kilos and you see these front runners rock up and they've got this little tiny backpack on it looks like they've got a sandwich in there or something <laughs> And you're thinking yeah. there's some team strategy. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So, Tom, can you tell us um, how did you hear of the Western States and, and how did that become your dream? Like you said, rightfully in your introduction, Western States, is the, it's the original 100-mile race. For me, I guess when I pick races, I like to pick races that not only have got the best field and the best competitors – but also the ones that have got a little bit of a story behind it. And Western States is, yeah, is one of those. It started as a horse race. 50 years ago, uh, a guy called Gordy decided that he was going to run it instead of ride his horse. Um, his horse went lame, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. And he wanted to get to the finish line. Um, so he's like, right, well, I'm just going to run it. And yeah, he runs it. Um in way over 24 hours um and then came back next year oh maybe i can do it in under 24 hours and then ran under 24 hours and just slowly and slowly it sort of got more and more popular and yeah a race was then born and um yeah here we are today and it's yeah just uh very very different style of racing um it's very different to european racing the volunteers and the crowds and the spectators are just the most enthusiastic which is incredible um and yeah it's just it's such such a special such a special race so i did in 2019 i i raced western states and i always wanted western states to be my first 100 mile race um and it went it went well in um in 2019 uh i finished third so i was still on the podium which was great but i definitely felt like there were some more stones to unturn and I hadn't reached my, yeah, my pinnacle. I hadn't reached what I thought that I was capable of. So yeah, the plan was then born um, in collaboration with Adidas Terex that we would create a shoe that is the perfect weapon of choice for this race. So we spent, yeah, all throughout COVID, um, and then, yeah, all last year, sort of 2022, sort of really, yeah, priming it and getting going through rounds and rounds and rounds of different prototypes. And, yeah, I then got in. I got my entry into Western States um, after podiuming at UTMB last year. Um, and, yeah, sort of the plan was then set. The stage was then set. And thankfully, it all worked out to plan. And we've got this sort of great fairy tale ending. Um and that, yes, the shoes were great, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication gone in. Like if I 
if I look at numbers from this year, um, I so I got married at the end of last year, so I took a little bit of time off training. But from the first of January this year until uh, the race week, I had averaged 126 miles a week with eight and a half thousand meters of climbing every single week. Um, some weeks were a bit bigger, some weeks were a bit smaller, but the average was one two six. There's no such thing as a perfect training block. There's no such thing as sort of a perfect pre-deployment training, but you make you make it as good as you possibly can. And yeah, for me, this is as close to perfect as I'm ever going to get in a training block. And yeah, it's been, uh, I absolutely loved it. I split my time between the UK and the US and yeah, it was just things turned out perfectly. And yeah, it was just, it's my, it's hands down my favorite race. Um, I absolutely love it. And yeah, I'm already already excited to go back um, sometime very soon. Mm. So you had Adidas or Adidas make a shoe for you? Yes, um, it it is a commercial shoe. Uh, It's coming out um, very, very soon. Um, And that was a really fun project. It was definitely a it was definitely a partnership of creating this product that's not just for elite runners, but it's for everyone, whether, yeah, whether you're trying to win a race and break course records, or you're trying to get ahead of the knock, the cutoffs in the, in the shoes for you. Um, yeah. And that comes out. I can't say when, but at the end of August, um, well, yeah, which is super, super exciting. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun, really fun project project with them. is the shoe named after you uh no it's not sadly um i can't i'm not allowed to say the name of the shoe um, no okay yeah no problem i'm just to- i i love adidas so it's 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 it, sadly their shoes fit too small for me but yeah this one um, won't yeah the the thing that i learned so much on on mds was about feet even i got extra extra wide hockers they were still jamming my toes in uh so much so on the last day i think it was a marathon on the last day i just took i took my socks off tom just just to give me that little bit extra uh and i ran with no socks on it didn't i got a tiny little uh, rub on my ankle but um it's kind of funny you know the you think how much people must have stressed about what socks to wear and yeah. and tape your feet. And I've, I've never taped my feet. and <laughs> I didn't wear socks. I think I'm going to try these ultras that seem to be more of like a barefoot, like a, yeah. you know, really, really uh, wide. Yeah. You've covered your training. We should tell people what the course is like, shouldn't we? Cause it starts in the snowy mountains and then comes yeah. into the desert. Yeah. So it's a hundred mile, 101 miles it starts um just to the northwest of lake tahoe and it is yeah starts in a town called olympic valley where winter olympics in 1968 i think yeah and it then you go up to just over 3000 meters above sea level and then you start to descend and this year because they've had so much snow in the us we had snow for sort of the first 30 miles um and then the weather wasn't that hot this year. Sometimes it can get up to yeah, 45, 48 degrees, but we were sort of fairly lucky and it only got up to, I think, 32, 33, which is still hot, but it's not as hot as it can be. Um, and yeah, the race then sort of goes, yeah, you start 
at five in the morning and you're in a jacket and sleeves because it's so cold and you're in snow and then yeah fast forward eight hours and you're running through these canyons and it's sort of 98 humidity um and yeah it's wild and then yeah you finish in a in a small town called auburn that was sort of in the it's right in the middle of gold rush america um yeah which is very very cool and yeah it, you finish with a lap of the track which is incredibly special um yeah place the high school um and yeah it's just uh it's a completely wild race it's, yeah it's a race of sort of three it's a race of thirds with such different um mm. yeah such different views and you take a race like ultra trail de mont blanc in the starts and finishes in chamonix and it's an incredible race and it's beautiful but you do 12 hours of it in darkness you don't see a thing and then the views are very similar for the rest of the race whereas this yeah you're starting in sort of the high country and it looks sort of almost european alpine and you're then going to these canyons and yeah in its proper wild west and there are snakes and bears and yeah, all sorts of things. It sort of makes you realise how uh, how safe we really are in Europe, and uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a completely wild course, but um, really fun. So, climbing wise, it's got uh, eight thousand meters of descent and six thousand meters of ascent. So, it's a net net downhill course. So, it's fast, but it wrecks your quads. Um, so yeah, you need to lots of time in. I spent lots of time in the gym, sort of earlier in the year, sort of trying to bulletproof knees and quads and hips and things, which uh, yeah, thankfully paid off. But now I've sort of written a blueprint of what training needs to be to race my best, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of hard work. Um, yeah, sadly, no uh, no shortcuts here. And eight thousand meter—that's the height of Everest, isn't it? Thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Everest's eight, eight sixty or something. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of climbing. What about the sort of logistics? I mean, where, where do you stay? Because obviously, you're going to run to a completely different. You're going to run a hundred miles away. Do you do you get transport back to a hotel or? No, stayed at stayed at the start line the few days before, and then stayed at the finish line the night after, and. Adidas, we sent out a big team. We had four athletes racing, including myself. So that was all. Typically, when we travel to these team races, they'll sort of sort out a big Airbnb for all of us. And we'll have a chef in the house. We'll have a physio. And yeah, it's just a really nice, really nice environment and a really nice atmosphere before the races. And then fairly similar then after the race. Um, because you're so tired, but everyone's finishing at different times because there are four of us. I probably finished three and a half, four hours before the last of our athletes finished. So yeah, you're waiting around, but it's really nice. There's a great atmosphere and yeah, everyone's cheering and supporting everyone. And yeah, we then stay at the finish line and you can then easy to then come back the next day. Um, yeah, the, there's what they call the golden hour. So you, there's a time limit of 30 hours. So from 29 to 30 hours is the golden hour where the last finishers finish. Um, so, it's, yeah, for me, it's super inspiring to go and watch these athletes who have put so much hard work in. And they've had a way harder experience than I have. Like, I'm lucky enough to be able to finish it fairly quickly and to under 15 hours. And they're slogging along, going through the night. And it becomes a completely different sport running with a head torch 
is a different sport to running without a head torch. Um, so yeah, I always the two times I've raced states, I yeah I come back to watch yeah to watch the final hour, and it's just uh, yeah it's incredible. And then yeah, you get a uh, the prize givings. Then after that, given your belt buckle um, and either trophy is a big brass cougar, um, which is very cool. Um, and yeah, it's a very 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 special race. Does that fit in your hand luggage? Uh, no, it's <laughs> it's being is in the process of being shipped. It's actually supposed to arrive tomorrow. Mm. Um, Have you got your buckle there, Tom? I do. So I was given two two things. Uh, first off, the uh, the finish line for race, which is very cool. So if anyone's got any ideas of what to do with it, the winning idea at the moment is you can send it to someone who'll make it into like a teddy bear, and so you can have different parts of it as different parts of the the toy um and so because i everyone who finishes in the 30 hours gets a belt buckle if you finish in under 24 hours you get a gold one and if you finish after that then you get a silver one i already had a buckle from uh 2019 and so i just assumed that it would be they would all be the same um but this one is yeah, it's very cool, and it sort of says Western States winner on the front. Um, wow! And then it's yeah engraved name on the back. Yeah, it's very, 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 very special. It's currently sat in its box. There's you are allowed to, and they they want you to wear your belt buckle once a year at the on the day that the lottery for Western States is drawn. So I need to, yeah, I need to go and get a, uh, a bit of a leather belt that I can attach this on. But I think they're not difficult to get in the UK, but far easier to get in the US is people actually wear belts like this. Whereas if you wore that sort of out in, I live in Loughborough. If I wore that to the big Tesco's in Loughborough, uh, then I think I might get some pretty weird looks. <laughs> you might get robbed, mightn't you? <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's very cool, and it's yeah, it's just really nice having, yeah, having a little bit of sort of local heritage and local culture, yeah, around it. But it's yeah, it's it's living in the living in a box in our office at the moment. Um, Tom, how is it for us, kind of you know, us pack runners? Did you meet Courtney Dowwater? Is yeah. is she like a friend of yours? Or yeah, very yeah, good friend. Yeah, very good friend. The the remarkable thing about Courtney, for however good she is and she is incredible she is the most normal person you've ever met if you if you went for a coffee and you didn't know who she was you'd have absolutely no idea that she is the greatest of all time at what she does yeah Uh, yeah incredibly humble incredibly hardworking, incredibly talented and what's more most important out of even more so important than all those she's just a really really nice person um and i think that's what a lot of times sort of people can look at these sort of role models and idols and think oh they're the most incredible athlete which is great but that's not going to last forever she is and it's then forgotten that these people are actually people uh and their sons or daughters brothers or sisters and yeah she's just a genuinely the most incredible person um and yeah very very lucky to be able to call her friend and um yeah she's mm. 
exceptionally talented um and a really nice person so yeah it's, uh, and, and she's a great ambassador for the sport isn't it because she, she's always smiling 100 percent, and, 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 and it, it's genuine as well it's not mm. it's not put on which i think is um yeah which is great yeah she's certainly got her own style how was it with your crew what 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 were you fueling up on 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 the race i pretty much solely used morton um which is a yeah a sort of carbohydrate company who sort of specialized in making hydrogels um i've been working with them for a couple of years now um and yeah so i fuel quite highly um significantly higher than a lot of other people who are racing and i think it's yeah it's definitely something that we train a lot for so i was i fueled 120 grams of carbohydrate an hour from the first hour till the last hour which is i would have said it's probably the highest amount of anyone in the race but if you look at take comparisons from other sports sort of from long course triathlon at kona to the hardest stage at the tour de france there is a direct correlation with the amount of carbohydrates taking ingested and finish times and the more carbohydrates your body's able to consume the faster your finishing time is, um, which I think is really interesting. So gone are the days of, oh, how was your your run? Oh, yeah, it was amazing. I only had one gel. Like it's it's now not a cool thing to mm. struggle and to suffer and actually being able to fuel properly is, is now quite cool. And I've also started using, I'm not, I don't follow a ketone diet, um, but I've started using uh ketones in both training and racing um there's actually some really 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 interesting research and studies that are being done at the moment um with yeah with endurance athletes um some of which i can talk about uh some of which i can't because i've signed an nda about it um but with so dopamine for example the what your body releases when it's happy if you feel good, you typically race far better and you're more happy and you're able to sort of enjoy yourself more and push it a little bit harder. Whereas if you feel bad, that's typically when you then start bonking. And there's sort of been a, yeah, very promising studies with dopamine and linked with ketone ingestion, um, which is really interesting. And that's then not to go into the other sports sciencey things of actual energy and using a different energy system for fueling. Um, and the amount, of, for example, like I, I monitor my glucose pretty constantly in training and in racing. And my glucose levels are so much more stable when I'm on ketones. I don't get the sort of huge peaks and troughs. It's sort of far. It's higher, but it's far, mm-hmm. far more smooth. And I think in endurance sports, that's what we want. We don't want the highest highs and the lowest lows. We kind of want to be mediocre the whole way through. Um, I use a lot of caffeine as well. Um, so for that, so if I drink Red Bull at all of the all of the key critical aid stations. Um, but caffeine, again, it's a super interesting one that in really hot conditions, caffeine can also raise your core body temperature. And what you're trying to do in hot races is to keep your core body temperature cooler than everyone else's. So we were really specific with caffeine and caffeine usage during the race and only started using caffeine properly and um, having higher doses of caffeine after the hottest stages of the race. Um, 
So yeah, lots, lots and lots of thought goes into this. The Excel spreadsheet that I make pre-race takes three weeks to build and then come race day, it changes automatically because as you know, no plan survives contact and um, everything changes and you've then just got to adapt. But if you know what the end state needs to be, okay, cool, I need to consume 120 grams of carb an hour. That's great. I can test and adjust. I can, yeah, use what I'm planning on using. But if my stomach turns or something happens, then I'm able to, I'm able to change it. So, um, yeah, that's a long-winded answer. I don't. I very, very rarely eat any solids, um, especially for a, I say, a short race for a fast race like Western States. That's only 15 hours. For me, that was, yeah, pretty much 50-50 liquid and gel um for a race like utmb i will have some solid food as well um especially through the night and i'll try and have more solid food sort of around when my body thinks that it should be having a meal whereas at western states i only miss one meal i only miss lunch whereas utmb i miss far too many meals dinner (laughs) breakfast lunch so um yeah and for our friends at home that might not be aware so um, key, when you say ketones, we, we're talking about running in ketosis. So your body's burning fat as opposed to like starch, carbohydrates and the, the glucose that that produces. Yeah, kind of. So you're, um, when your body has got no carbohydrates in it, it then produces these ketones that predominantly get sent to your brain to keep your brain functioning so you can think even when you're at your most tired um so what this is doing is it's allowing your brain to still function properly while and your carbohydrates not having to go to your brain so it started out as for use with the uh u.s military is they what they really struggled with was um yeah getting to what they call rucking or tabbing into an assault or an offensive action and there they weren't as skillful and there's the, the old the longer the more tired you are the less skillful you become mm-hmm. so they thought right is there anything that we can do that our bodies do naturally that we can sort of extrapolate and help us and there's been some yeah incredible research about within u.s special forces groups who are doing they sort of go on the ranges fire and then go on a hard tab or ruck while using ketones and then firing afterwards. And their scores are almost exactly the same. Whereas compared to non-ketone, their scores were significantly worse when they were more tired. And in ultra running, you need to be able to think for the whole of the race because every race, 99% of long distance trail running races finish with a downhill because Funnily enough, the villages and the towns aren't made on the top of mountains because they wouldn't be there for very long because they're made in the valleys. And in order to get to the valley, you're not climbing up the valley road because that'd be super boring. You're descending from your final climb into the valley. If you roll your ankle with two miles to go and you can't run because you've not been paying attention on the trail, you're going to lose so much time. And the race isn't won until you, or the race isn't finished until you cross over that line. So, to be able to concentrate, um, yeah, with ketones is is one thing, and then but for me, sort of the yeah the combination of 
it started out as purely caffeine, um, but now it's sort of taking a bit more of a, yeah, playing around with some ketones and um, and seeing what happens. I yeah, I didn't start using them too much before Western States, but um, yeah, still trialing them, and who knows? Yes, Tom, tell me, um, was there a stage in the race where you realised? you were going to win or is that always like, you know, you don't want to go there? I think I was probably for the first time in a race, I was still on the start line, supremely confident. And I genuinely thought that it was, if I'm capable, if I have a really good day, then I think that it was my race to lose. Um, And I, whether I actually thought that on the start line or not, one thing, but sort of in hindsight, Looking back at the race, I was really confident. Um, there was then a big group of us for sort of the first 30 miles, which I kind of thought was going to happen because of all the snowpack. Um, and things sort of just started to sort of filter out. And yeah, probably with 10 miles to go, I sort of allowed myself to start thinking about the finish. But then with... Um, yeah, with about eight miles to go, so you get to the final main checkpoint, and I was told that I had a twenty-six minute lead. So just thought, right, let's just shut things down a little bit. Twenty-six minutes is a long time. I'm still going to have to run, but let's not do anything stupid. So mm. yeah, kind of backed off a little bit, and sort of just re- that then just meant that I could really enjoy the. Yeah, the last couple of miles where there were some incredible crowds and yeah, really sort of fully soak up the experience and yeah, realize what I had done. I'd put so much effort and so much hard work into it that uh, yeah, I wanted to enjoy it. Mm. And was there, uh, did anyone overtake you for the race or did you have to overtake a lot of people at the start? Uh, no, I kind of ran at the, ran at the front of the race for, for the whole thing. I was definitely in the, in the front group, the I think the furthest back I was was twelfth, but you could have thrown a duvet over all of us. Um, but when we were in a group like that, I would just sit at the back because we were in the high country. The navigations you're not having to navigate because there are markers out, but sometimes they can be quite hard to see. So I would just put myself to the back of the group so you could see which way everyone was going, and you could then just pick the best line. And yeah, use that experience rather than being at the front and using a bit more mental energy and having to use your brain a little bit more to to yeah to follow the right path. I think when I run it, I will. I'm probably just going to lead from the front. I think that's a very good idea. Yeah, you don't want people to slow you down. Ah, uh, you know, <laughs> eat my dirt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and tell us, uh, Tom, what's it, it? Does it finish in a stadium, or am I? Yeah, finished in sort of a, a high school athletics track, the sort of half stadium. And how is that last lap? Yeah, insane. Really, really special. Um, yeah, just incredible. Um, very, yeah, words impossible to describe in words, but yeah, just a very, very, very special moment. And how did you... Um... How did you sell? Did did you celebrate or did you? Well, did you said you went to the finish line to watch other people come in? Yeah, so I I hung about for and watched the rest of my teammates 
finish and then tried to get some sleep, but you never sleep that well because your body's so sore and I've had so much sort of sugar and caffeine throughout the day. So you're never going to sleep that well. And then you had a good race, so you're super excited and your phone's going mad. Um, but I, I, my sort of post-race ritual, if I struggle to sleep, is I watch the in-betweeners. Uh, and it's my, it is my all-time... I reckon I've watched every episode 40 times. But it's my, it's my all-time favourite. I, I never watch it except post-race when I can't sleep. Um, so, yeah, that's my... I know that I finished a race when that's going on. Um, so when you're running down the road and a bus goes past, are you, are you like, yeah, bus, bus wankers? <laughs> yeah, I'm very worried. I've got my briefcase. And yeah, so uh, it, yeah, it's my, it's my all time favorite. And um, yeah, I then went to, I had a couple of friends who came out to Western States to watch. And we went to, we went to San Francisco afterwards. I had a couple of days there. That was really nice just to decompress a little bit. Um, and yeah, I came back home and my wife's currently training for, um, to be selected for team GB for the Olympics, um, in triathlon. So it's kind of back to, yeah, back, back to work, um, just helping her as much as I can. And I sort of back and got into training a little bit quicker than planned, but that's fine. So my body's coping with it and reacting and yeah, just nice to be back home. We've got. Yeah, sort of a proper, I say a proper family life. We've got dogs, chickens, a tortoise. And yeah, it's just really, it's just really nice to be home and um, yeah, see friends and family. And yeah, it's just really nice. Tom, just one question. Do you, do you drink alcohol? Very, very rarely. Um, once or twice a year, maybe. Just, I don't, I wouldn't say I was teetotal, but that's probably just because I don't want to put a name or a label on it maybe once or twice a year, but there'd be some years that I, like I drunk at my wedding, not much, but I, yeah, I try and have, I'll try and have a beer. If the opportunity is right, I'll try and have a beer or two after a big result, a big race result. But it, yeah, it depends. Um, I think nowadays alcohol-free beer is so good that mm. it's fine, but I, I, I have so many other hobbies that I'd rather spend my time and money on than, um, than going and getting hammered. That was a that was a former former life of mine. Former life, yes, exactly. Um, couple of shout outs. So, just um, a big thank you to my friend Dean Carnazis, who started me down the road of ultra running. Wrote a wonderful book called Ultra Marathon Man. So, Dean, uh, much love to you, mate, uh, and also to my friend uh, Ricky. Uh, who's going to row the Atlantic with me next year. Ricky last weekend, just off, completely off the bat, uh, set a course up around his local part and ran 110 miles in, in 24 hours. And I, um, I was privileged to run the 95 to 99 mile uh, leg with, with him just to make sure he got the hundred. Um uh, which you did so um, big up to you, Ricky. And um, yes, Tom, just um, absolute, you know, absolutely amazing. I ask you about the alcohol because I just think it's something that, you know, it, it, it's kind of a dream stealer, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I think so. I think far too. I think a lot of people have got very addictive personalities um, and certainly a lot of people in like I certainly do. And, 
yeah, I just find it far easier to avoid situations that I know can lead me down a slippery slope. Um, yeah, if I start, if I start something, I find it very difficult not to finish it. Um, and that, that stays, that's true with running, training, a packet of box of Pringles, a bag of Maltesers or a six pack of beer. And so it's just, for me, it's just easier to, yeah, not have follow, it in. Stay on the rails and follow your dream. Exactly. Tom, look, you've been so kind to give us so much of your time, especially at this um, unique moment in your life. On behalf of uh, me and all my friends out there, massive, massive congratulations. Um, it's just, it's a great thing for, for the UK to have a, a champion in the Western States. Uh, are you the first Englishman to win it? I'm the first English man to win it, but um, it's been won by two British females before, Beth Pascal and Ellie Greenwood. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Tom, stay on the line just so I can thank you properly, but like I say, massive, massive congratulations. What What's the next, uh, what's on the horizon? Uh, UTMB in six weeks. Can you just explain that very briefly for, yeah. for people that... UTMB is the Super Bowl of trail running in Europe. Um, it is 110 miles with 11,000 meters of ascent and descent, circumnavigating Mont Blanc, um, starting in Chamonix, running through um, parts of France, parts of Italy, parts of Switzerland, then back into France. Um, it is on the 1st of September. Um, yeah, and it's going to be carnage. No man has ever finished on the podium of Western States and UTMB in the same year. Um, so that's the that's the project. Well, I'm not going to enter that one just so that you will be that man on the podium, Tom. Perfect, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Tom, much, much love to you, mate. Thank you so, so much. Like I say, stay on the line just so I can thank you properly. Friends at home, much love to you as well. What an incredible uh, achievement. Could we get some likes on the on the podcast for, for, for Tom's effort? Please, folks, please share. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Chris, thank you very much and look forward to seeing you soon. Very welcome, mate. Very, very welcome. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.